1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
0: Why is 2022 being called the worst year for trans and LGBTQ people? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Today on the podcast, a startling nationwide trend. And that's the number of anti-LGBTQ, particularly anti-trans bills, that have been making their way through state and local governments. 2022 is already being called the worst year for LGBTQ and trans people, with a record number of anti-trans bills being introduced in just the first three months of this year alone. Here in Chicago, the vulnerability of trans people is hard to miss. Yesterday, we heard the story of Tatiana LaBelle, a black trans woman whose body was found beaten and tossed in a garbage can five days after being reported missing. And then there's the story of Elise Mallory. A prominent Chicago activist went missing on March 9th. And over a week later, her body was found in Lake Michigan in Evanston. Joining me now to discuss a path forward is Iggy Laddin. They are a therapist and director of the Chicago Therapy Collective who worked with Elise Mallory. Iggy, welcome to Reset.
2: Hi, Sasha. Thanks so much for having me.
0: First off, our sincere condolences uh, to you and and to those at Chicago Therapy Collective who knew and worked with Elise.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: We want to take a moment to talk about her. Can you tell us who she was to you?
2: Yeah, well, Elise was a board member of the Chicago Therapy Collective as well as a personal friend of mine. We considered each other chosen family, and uh, it's really rocked us. It's rocked me uh, to lose Elise this week. Mm-hmm. And about Elise, Elise was a she was a beautiful person. She was the kind of person that you just want around. Her kindness, her warmth, her joy was. Contagious, um, and I'm going to be missing her, her dearly.
0: Yeah. Elise was a founding member of your group, Chicago Therapy Collective. Uh, the group aims to address health disparities in the LGBTQ community. What was it that motivated Elise to do this work?
2: Yeah. So at Chicago Therapy Collective, in addition to Advocating for accessible therapy for the trans community, uh, we are all intimately aware, as mostly trans folks ourselves, uh, that the mental health issues that trans folks experience are primarily rooted in social injustices, social factors. And so, Elise and a number of our more activist-oriented members of the collective was focused on addressing the systemic barriers that were impacting that are impacting trans folks' mental health and well-being. And Elise was particularly passionate about employment and and making sure our our trans community, especially trans community members of color, especially Black trans women, Latina trans women had access to safe, affirming, and well-paying places of employment. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think
0: her legacy is? Or what do you think she'd hope that her legacy would be?
2: Hmm. I think she would hope that her legacy would be a constant reminder that we're not doing enough for Black trans women in the city. I think her hope would be that allies, particularly white, uh, cisgender, straight allies, would realize that they have a role to play in supporting our trans communities in accessing uh, safe employment and, and realizing economic justice.
0: You talked about not doing enough for Black trans women in this city. What would you like to see done?
2: First and foremost, I want to echo Elise's passion, economic justice. Our city needs to make sure that trans folks are not being discriminated against on the employment front. Our city needs to make sure that even within the city itself, that there is an affirming and and competent uh, practice for working with trans job applicants, interviewing trans job applicants. Our city needs to make sure that employers here in Chicago know how to treat their trans employees with respect and with the the benefits and support that they deserve.
0: Iggy, there was another story that we saw yesterday, and that's of Tatiana LaBelle, a black trans woman whose body was found beaten and stuffed in a garbage can in East Chatham. That was five days after being reported missing. And stories like Tatiana's and like Elise's, they really speak to the... um, the vulnerability of trans people, especially black trans women. You touched on this earlier. Can you just tell us more about the very real danger that this particular group faces?
2: Yeah, well, black trans women are standing at the intersections of multiple injustices, from racism to sexism to transphobia oftentimes, but thankfully not always, family rejection can be a part of the picture. Black trans women are disproportionately forced into poverty and in vulnerable circumstances and and might find themselves in more dangerous situations. And so Black trans women need our protection, they need our support, they need our love. And it was awful to hear within—actually, we learned on the same day that Elisa's body was identified. We learned about TT, and I did not know TT, but the way in which she was found exemplifies just how disposable uh, our society feels that trans people are and that black trans women are in particular.
0: And you can find these stories across the country, Iggy. That's the even more disturbing part. Uh, you know, in just the first three months of this year, there have been more than 240 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been filed. Yeah. Uh, the majority of the bills are targeting trans people specifically. What concerns are top of mind for you?
2: I, as a therapist, I spent about half of my time being a therapist for predominantly trans folks. So concerned about the mental health toll that all of these anti-trans pieces of legislation are going to be having they already are having and they're going to be continuing to have on our trans communities mental health. So mental health is at the forefront of my mind.
0: Yeah. I want to bring in another voice into this conversation. You mentioned mental health Iggy, so uh, joining us now is Aster Gilbert, the manager of the Training and Public Education Institute at the Center on halstead Welcome, Aster.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's talk about your work. You work with the Center on Halstead's uh, Anti-Violence Project. Tell us more about the organization and and what your day-to-day looks like, and then we'll move into the mental health services.
1: Sure, yeah. So the Anti-Violence Project at the Center on Halstead is one of several anti-violence projects across the country, part of the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Projects, which focuses specifically on tackling issues of anti-LGBTQIA violence, My job specifically as the Manager of Training and Public Education Institute is to do various trainings that help educate members of the public, organizations, nonprofits, direct service providers on how to combat these different issues of violence, but also to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for LGBTQIA colleagues, coworkers, clients, and how to engage members of the community. Um, that is in line with the Anti-Violence Project mission. My teammates, who are social workers and therapists, do a lot of work for survivors of violence, whether that's sexual violence, community violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, Um, which includes counseling as well as legal advocacy and case management, uh, individual and group therapy services. And then we also work with a 40-hour per week anti-violence resource line, an email that people can reach out to. We also work very closely with other programs within the Center on Halstead, including our behavioral health services, Mm -hmm. as well as our uh, youth housing services to um, get people placement when they are, in many cases, escaping uh, situations of violence to keep them from uh, living on the street. So, in a nutshell that's that's kind of uh, the overview of what our uh, anti-violence project does mm.
0: since we're talking about mental health aster uh, let's touch on another story earlier this week two republican two republican governors uh, they vetoed anti-trans bills in their states first Indiana governor Eric Holcomb shot down a bill that targeted trans girls playing school sports and then Utah governor Spencer Cox vetoed a similar ban specifically citing the mental health impacts that the bill would have on trans youth. Can you talk about the mental health impacts that these anti-trans laws might have on young people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of what I'll be saying will echo what Iggy just said in the previous uh, interview. Essentially, the what we're seeing with this, uh, just a massive amount, as you already mentioned, of bills across the country that are targeting LGBTQ people, especially trans people and trans youth is that even if these bills are ultimately unsuccessful, if they are vetoed or shot down or taken to the Supreme Court and fail at that level, they're still having this effect of creating a a sense of violence and precarity for trans and LGBTQ people. What we've seen with LGBTQ folks, especially trans people, especially trans people that are people of color or for uh, low-income economic uh, situations, is that there are exceedingly higher rates of homelessness, of unemployment, of precarious employment. All of this exacerbates mental health conditions, which include you know, depression, anxiety, suicidality, that it becomes, for many, it feels impossible to just live as a trans person in our society. So the effect of this anti-trans campaign is not just to enact these laws, which I do think is the purpose of those, putting those laws forth, but creating this atmosphere of uh, fear and uncertainty. And so for many trans people, this it, and I'm speaking of myself here as a trans person as well, is mm-hmm. not knowing from administration to administration what our rights are going to be. Um, but what we're also seeing and what I, I am afraid of is that constantly having this debate about trans people, not just our civil rights and our legal rights, but whether or not we are human beings, fosters this kind of violent backlash that will play out in the deaths of the most vulnerable members of our community. And we're seeing this really ramping up in, in recent months.
0: Yeah. Do you have an idea how many trans women of color have reached out for help in the past few months?
1: At the center Hall Halstead, no, I don't have those numbers in front of me but we do um our hotline and uh the people that reach out to us is is several hundred people a year.
0: Yeah. So you serve that many people a year. Are you seeing a growing demand though for services?
1: Yes, we have um A lot of this is because of the impacts of COVID, COVID because people have been sheltering in place or have lost jobs and things like that. We've seen a a massive increase in uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, sexual violence. So a lot of people are really hurting and they're also trapped and limited in their uh, mobility and their ability to either find gainful employment that can give them the resources to leave these violent situations Mm -hmm. or simply, you know, travel restrictions and things like that have created a lot of constraints. So since the pandemic hit in 2020, we've seen a a very significant increase in these forms of violence.
0: What about you, Iggy? What are you seeing at Chicago Therapy Collective? A growing demand?
2: Well, yeah, well, absolutely. And I just want to raise up a collaboration we're currently involved in with Uh, Howard Brown Health Center and also a task force. It's called the Trans Accountability Project, and it's very similar to the program that we're hearing our other guests talk about, Center on Halstead. It's, and it's, you know, violence prevention, but the Trans Accountability Project is, is working to figure out how is it that we can change the landscape of the economic reality for trans women of color in particular and make sure that trans women of color have access to safe and affirming jobs. So our Higher Trans Now project that Elise championed during her time at Chicago Therapy Collective, that is right now kind of the center of the intervention in the sense that we are recruiting about 50-plus employers who are ready to interview and meet our new cohort Mm -hmm. of we hope to have about 20 uh, Black and Latina trans women who have a job training program paired with the actual uh, work of then placing and supporting those job candidates throughout their hiring and employment process. So we, we're really hoping to to figure out how do we leverage. Our resources as nonprofits here in Chicago to, to fill in the gaps and make sure our, our trans community members of color, especially women, are not falling through yeah. the cracks.
0: Iggy, you know, experts say that uh, violence against the LGBTQ community is underreported. What are some reasons why survivors would hesitate to go to police for help?
2: Oh, that's, such a, that's such a good question. Well, our, our board president, Alexis Martinez, uh, she's a Latina trans woman herself, and she's talked about her own interactions, uncomfortable interactions with the police. I mean, trans people, I've, I have two clients myself, two trans women of color who have had negative interactions with the police where they have felt picked on or kind of um, assumed to criminalize just through their embodiment. And so there's a, there's a distrust that the Chicago police department, as well as, you know, it's a reflection of Chicago as a whole holds transphobia and bias. Mm-hmm. And so when re- reaching out to port, trans folks don't know who they can trust. Yeah. What do you think, Esther?
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm in agreement with a lot of that. I think Speaking more largely to um, why it is difficult for LGBTQ survivors of violence to reach out to anyone is, you know, oftentimes, and this is true for survivors of any identity base, but very, very true for LGBTQ, and specifically trans folks and trans folks of color, is the likelihood that they are going to be re-traumatized or have the trauma that they're experiencing um, extended and exacerbated by having to work through these systems that don't really know how to accommodate trans folks or LGBTQ people. So constant microaggressions, dehumanization, uh, like Iggy said, the the kind of preconceived notion of of criminalizing Mm -hmm. these people before they've even been dealt with. And so there is this kind of fear or hesitancy to go into these various institutions, whether they're state or local or even many nonprofit or healthcare um, institutions, for fear that these institutions either completely lack any awareness or sensitivity of how to work with LGBTQ people or understand the situation that they're coming from or are actively hostile, as yeah. he has just explained.
0: I talked with Iggy earlier about what more can be done. Esther, what do you think? What do you want city or state officials to do to, to boost protections for the trans community?
1: Yeah, I I have a list here. I think one of the main things to understand when especially for people out there that are listening that are allies or not members of the um, LGBTQ community or not trans and really want to know how to help or place pressure on elected officials, is I think one of the main things is to understand the recognition that all of these forms of violence, whether it's gender-based violence, income inequality, fighting racism, specifically anti-Black racism in the city of Chicago, these are all deeply interconnected with issues facing transgender people and LGBTQ rights. So first, I think there needs to be this understanding that you can't just isolate trans folks and have legislation that only speaks to specific aspects of trans experience if it's not also tackling income inequality and racism and gender based violence. A couple of more specific things that I can say is one, I think a lot of the issues of access of health care, of gender affirming care, speaks to the need to really reform our healthcare system, mm-hmm. universal health care, which that's a very big issue, but it really needs to be tackled. Specifically, I, I think there needs to be increased funding for direct service providers for underserved populations, and specifically funding for linguistically accessible and culturally relevant services. Chicago is a hugely diverse city with lots of different languages spoken and funding for disaggregated data on underrepresented populations is really crucial. The Anti-Violence Project is currently working with the uh, Chinese American Service League and their newly founded Anti-Hate Action Center, because mm-hmm. there is almost a complete lack of, uh, of useful data on Asian American and Pacific Islander LGBTQ folks and the experiences and violence that they face. Yeah. Um, I think affordable housing is crucial. And one last thing is, in the city of Chicago, I really think just as a basic... Uh, starting point is simplifying the procedures and the cost for legal name change and gender marker procedures, which can be really labyrinthine, overwhelming. It can be humiliating and cost prohibitive for many people. So that's a very simple one that really can just be streamlined and simplified for trans people, because that is going to impact issues of employment and financial stability, because one of the main things is, you know, trans people who are not out in every part of their lives or whose name and, and gender does not match their legal documentation, this impacts their ability to, to get employment, or if they are able to get employment, produces a, an overwhelming amount of, of mental health stress that really doesn't need to be there.
0: Yeah. Iggy, uh, we started talking about Elise Mallory, your friend, uh, her life and her work. Before I let you go, very quickly, what do you hope folks remember? About Elise,
2: hmm. I hope folks remember her, her voice and her smile. Um, I, I, we're going to release our, our favorite interview uh, with Elise today, and so if folks have not gotten a chance or did not get a chance to meet Elise, we hope that this video will give folks just a sense of what a beautiful, lovely, and tenacious person Elise was.
0: Iggy Ladin is a therapist and director of the Chicago Therapy Collective. Astor Gilbert is manager of the Training and Public Education Institute at the Center on Halsted. Thank you both. That's it for today's Reset. For more important conversations like this one, subscribe to this podcast. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon that brings context and analysis the local stories that affect you. And come back tomorrow when we go behind the headlines of the top Chicago and Illinois stories in our weekly news recap. But that's it for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for spending this time with us,
2: and we'll meet again tomorrow.